Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. Like the Israelites, we sometimes forget that God is our helper and has done great things for us. And also like the Israelites, we need to take a moment and remember these things. The Israelites spent time building piles of stone called Ebenezer's. You're listening to A Stone of Hope by guest minister, Reverend Emily Vanden Heuvel. Well, good evening. It's great to be here with you all today. My name is Emily Vanden Heuvel, and I am a chaplain for the Christian Reformed Church. And like Pastor Peter had said, my work is with Reframe Ministries, and I am the prayer team coordinator and the pastoral care supervisor. And um, my work is um, interesting in that I still get to do chaplaincy work, but I do it all online. I send people emails and I talk to people on the phone. And so it's been an interesting transition um, to move from the work that I had done previously for quite a few years was the chaplain at Wedgwood Christian Services. And so I'm really delighted to be here with you this evening and to share the word with you. Our text this morning, this morning, right? This text this evening is um, from 1 Samuel chapter 7 verses 3 through 12. And before I dig into scripture, I wanted to just give a little bit of background because the Old Testament narrative that we're going to be reading this morning um, has some story that goes into it. So before we jump into our text, um, I wanted to just give you a little backdrop on to the story that we're kind of jumping into in the middle. And so the people of God, the people of Israel, had fallen into wickedness and sin and disobedience. And this First uh, Samuel is the start of the prophet Samuel's call to ministry and his leadership and how he was dedicated into service. And the people of God, the people of Israel, um, are proving to be quite a challenge. They're disobedient. They are following idols. And this general sense of God is fairly absent from their lives and um, from how they're living. And so the Israelites kind of know they're sinning, they know what's going on, and they kind of don't care. And so they're going up to battle, we read about in the first um, chapter four, we read about how the Israelites are going into battle with the Philistines, and they decide, oh, we should take the Ark of the Covenant, because they'd seen it brought into battle before, and these amazing victories happened. Oh, we'll bring this Ark of the Covenant with us, because God has to come too. And so they had seen the ark win before. So foolishly, arrogantly, the people of Israel take the ark into this battle and an utter defeat happens and the ark is stolen by the Philistines. And so it's a disaster. So the Philistines take this great ark of the covenant and they've heard about its reputation. So they're very excited about that they get to take this ark of the covenant. So they put the ark in their temple, next to their statue, their idol Dagon. And the next day they go in there and this huge statue is just fallen on its face and broken into pieces. And there's stories of people that live around the place where the Philistine temple was, got really sick. So all of seven months, scripture tells us, the Philistines had the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant took care of itself And the Philistines were very quick to say, we don't want this anymore, you guys take it back. 
So they sent it back to the people of Israel. And it sat guarded. And so we have this time of 20 years where the people are still disobedient, they're selfish, they're arrogant, but there's a sense of loss. And we jump into this story now in chapter 7, starting at verse 3. So then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourself of the foreign gods and the Asherahs and commit yourself to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their Baals and their Asherahs and served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel at Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. And on that day they fasted, and there they confessed, We have all sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as leader of Israel at Mizpah. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled in Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came upon to attack them. And when the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because the Philistines, they said to Samuel, Do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hands of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. When Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near and engaged in Israel in battle. But that day, the Lord thundered with a loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below beth Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. This is the word of the Lord. So we have this interesting geography lesson. We have this place at Mizpah. And Mizpah is where the Ark of the Covenant was stolen from the Philistines. This place at Mizpah is also the location where the, um, Samuel led the people to do this place of, of worship and fasting and lament. And it's also the same place where the Israelites defeat the Philistines. But the Israelites were deep in sin and they knew it. They were worshiping idols. They were neglecting the tasks and duties that God had asked them to do. Their true dedication to God was just an afterthought. So Israel was under this, miscon- this mistaken assumption that God's present, God would be present as long as they had possession of the Ark of the Covenant. They had seen it used in battle before, and however, this foolish reliance led to defeat. Since no confidence was actually rightly placed in God, they trusted the object. They didn't trust God. So the Ark was taken and the Philistines had possession for those seven months. So they knew, even after the ark was returned, there's this sense of, like, angst and unsettledness that we read in the text. The people just knew it wasn't quite right. 
The Philistines were just there. They had the ark, but it was under guard. And there was the sense that things weren't quite right. So the people of God did not recognize their own helplessness. We don't recognize our helplessness oftentimes either. Though we might not have Baal statues or Asherahs in our front yards, but our culture tells us we have everything we need to make it work, to make it happen. Tie, up, tie yourselves up and bring yourselves up by the bootstraps. You have it in you for believing yourself hard enough. We have bookstores that are full of self-help guides. We have this message that we see on the um, social media that if you have this gym membership or you have this piece of gym equipment, it will make you feel so good. Just got to work out harder. Or we have the sense of if you work hard enough and you have this powerful career, the wealth and the influence will make your heart feel better. So none of those things are inherently bad but they can so easily become idols because we end up putting all of our dependence on them. We even see this creep into our church and our own spiritual lives. Chad Napier writes this, we Christians often find ourselves guilty of the reliance on superstition, formality, the worship of external symbols in times of spiritual stagnancy, turmoil, or discontent. We may justify and reason our actions under the pretext of this is just the way we've always done things. So there's not real intentional thought that's put into our decisions. And I think a really good example of how we can idolize things in our lives instead of God is this huge trend of self-care. Self-care is all the rage right now on online. There's all of these self-care things that we're doing. And people are coping with the impacts of the pandemic. Self-care is really important. Self-care is a good tool to manage stress, anxiety, seasons of difficulty. It's taking care of your body, physical body. Um, it's taking care of your mind, rest and leisure, exercise. All of those things are important. But self-care can so easily become an idol. When we have all this unsettledness in our hearts, we hold it into our bodies, and we think, well, maybe I need to just do more leisure time, or I need to buy this facial, or I need to do 10 more push-ups, or I need to change my diet and have clean eating, or spend 20 more minutes a day on positive thinking, will make all my problems go away. So self-care itself can become this dangerous idol of distraction. We can either fall into the trap of distracting ourselves from dealing with a pretty major unconfessed sin or maybe ignoring a major mental health issue that we need to address with a professional. I can do it myself. I can pray hard enough. I'll go to church twice on Sunday. I'll do all the things I'm supposed to do. If I say the right kinds of prayers, then God has to listen to me. So we walk into murky waters here. Sometimes God can feel silent because of our own arrogance and our own disobedience. We fill our lives with noise. And we cry out sometimes, though, 
we live into our faith. We are actively confessing and we cry out to God and it feels like we're speaking into silence. If you're in that space right now, reach out to someone. And my 12 years of working at Wedgwood was surrounded by innocent children who had been processing and dealing with unspeakable trauma and brokenness. And I never had a good answer for why. I never had a good answer when the kids felt like the Lord was distant. And for you too, people, if you're feeling that distance, reach out. I have no answers. I've gone to seminary. I've had lots of training. I have lots of experience. And I still don't have any answers about why. But that's the whole point of being in this community together. You and I can rely and lean on each other and support each other. So I wonder sometimes if we use our prayers like the Israelites used the ark. The Israelites just assumed that if they brought the ark into this battle that they would win. And I think, at least I have to sometimes fight that tendency that if I pray the right way, or I pray enough, or if I live a good life, I end up trusting in what I do, I trust in what I say, to make God give me the things that I want. But we see here in this section in Samuel that God is present. He is listening. He is there. So we'll take back, just a peek back at this text to chapter, verse 6. I want you to notice this setup here. The people are gathering back in Mizpah to lament, to confess, to worship. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. And on that day, they had fasted, confessed, we have sinned against the Lord. Now, I'm familiar with this story. You know, I grew up in Christian home, and I went to Christian school, and I went to catechism and Sunday school, and and seminary and all these things. And I'm you know, very familiar with the Bible. And so often I'll read something and then I'll read it again. And I'm in I'm middle age and I'm reading this for the first time. It feels like something jumped out at me that I never noticed before. They draw water and they pour it out. So Mizpah is in the middle of a desert. So water is a precious commodity. Water is used for survival drinking, taking care of your crops, washing, cooking, cleaning. Water was something essential for survival in the desert. So when the people of God gathered together, the first thing they did was take their most precious commodity and pour it out before the Lord. This statement of surrender. We are pouring out our unworthiness. We are pouring out our helplessness. We have come here in humility and fully surrender to the Lord. They were confessing their sin of disobedience, idol worship, pride, and arrogance. And the Lord was there. The Lord was present. The people were helpless. God is the helper. So then the story gets even more interesting where the Philistines hear that all the people of Israel are gathered together in Mizpah and they're fasting and they're worshiping. They are not there ready to fight. They don't have their weapons. They are there at a place of worship. They're vulnerable. So the Philistines are like, 
we have a great opportunity here. We can wipe all these people out. So the people of Israel hear that the Philistine army is coming to, kill, to get them all. And again, in this, in this sense of utter helplessness, total surrender to the Lord, they're like, Samuel, plead our case before God. And God shows up. So this place at Mizpah is a place of loss and sorrow. It's a place of repentance and lament. And now it's a place of victory. So Samuel erects a stone and calls it Ebenezer. Thus far the Lord has helped us. Literally translated, Ebenezer means the stone of help. God is our stone of help. Trusting in anyone or anything other than Jesus Christ leads to heartbreak and failure. God acts first. We are helpless without him. He is our helper. One of my favorite passages that really solidifies this truth is Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus Christ has saved us completely from our sin. We still live in a world that's tainted with sin. We are, not cap- we are not captive by our sin. We are free, but we still have to deal with the consequences of living in a broken, sinful world and being surrounded by broken, sinful people. But our status before the Lord will never change. Our Ebenezer is with us. Our stone of help is here. He is faithful to forgive, faithful to grant us mercy and provide guidance. We have been set free from being miserable creatures And we need to live into that forgiveness. We need to live into that grace. The challenge for each of us, though, is to live into that forgiveness and to own into that helpfulness that God provides, even when our world is falling apart. Like the Israelites poured out the water, they offered offered total surrender. What is it? that I have to surrender? What do you have to surrender? What are you holding on to? What idol of distraction is keeping you from experiencing and living into God's unconditional grace and acceptance? Sometimes it can feel silent and distant because of our disobedience and unconfessed sin, but silence still comes even when we have repented and trusted Peter Gehrig is a pastor from the UK, and he's written some wonderful books on prayer. And one of my favorite books he's written is called God on Mute. He spends a whole book talking about how do we understand unanswered prayer. And this is what he says about unanswered prayer. He said one of the many things, but he says, Christian witness and our ultimate hope is not merely a miraculous succession of miraculous escapes from all human affliction. Rather, it is a joy of a deepening relationship with a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering that we read about in Isaiah 53, who loves us and lives in us. 
This book, God on Mute, talks about when we have good theology, it allows us to have space for suffering because with it our faith is more resilient. So often in my work at Reframe, I get to offer pastoral care to people who, live, who are all over the world, English speakers primarily. And Reframe, um, for those of you that aren't familiar, used to be called the Back to God Hour. And so the Today devotional is one of um, the, the things that we publish. So Reframe has always had a very robust pastoral care response system. So back in the day um, before the internet, when it was a TV show and a radio show, They'd have pastors on standby answering the phones to talk to people. Well, with the internet, um, people's needs got to be so big that they decided it was good, to, instead of having volunteer ministers, to actually pay someone, a staff person, minister to do this. So that's my job. I get about 100 to 150 prayer requests each week from people all over the world. And a lot of these people are using reading the Today or using Reframe Ministries materials because they're not connected to church um, for a variety of reasons. Or these are people that are just continuing to grow in their faith. So I get prayer requests from all over the world. And I respond to every single one. And so often, people are filled with heartbreak and sorrow. So I had shared this idea of Ebenezer with these people um, who write in and, and ask for prayer requests. And I'd gotten some interesting responses. Because another big piece of what I do is, is there's um, people, brothers and sisters in Christ from all over the world that are part of this prayer team. So there are people who have said, we know that there's people who are asking for prayer, but we want to pray for them too. So then each week I send out a list of prayer requests um, I think right now we're at over 8,000 people all over the world. I get to send these prayer requests out to these people and say, this is how you can pray for them. And so I had shared with them this idea of Ebenezer, about how God is our helper in the midst of our defeat and our lament and our victory. And where have you seen God the helper? Where could you set up an Ebenezer stone? So there's a a response I wanted to share with you from a woman named Beth. And Beth is someone who regularly contributes prayer requests, but she's also one who's part of this prayer team. And so a few months back, she had asked us to pray for her husband, who was dying. She was praying for a miracle. And then the prayers changed, the requests changed. She had said that her husband, Henry, was going into hospice. And her prayer was just that God would be with her in that space. A few weeks ago, when I had shared this idea of an Ebenezer stone for our prayer time, she responded with this. I have a big Ebenezer, Pastor Emily. Today, it is one month ago that the Lord took home my dear husband, Henry. God, Yahweh, is my rock, my Ebenezer. I hold on to him and I find my daily strength. Henry, my dear husband, has received his healing, just not in the way we expected. He is now with the Lord. My prayer was that I would be able to hold him in my arms the moment the Lord would take him into his arms. My prayer was answered. I was holding Henry close when he took his final breath. 
I will miss him terribly, but I am not sorrowing without hope. I so appreciate Beth sharing that story of her Ebenezer with me. God is always listening, always loving. He's always there. We are utterly dependent on him for our salvation. We love and trust him in our defeat because we know he has the final victory. We are helpless. God is our helper. So the concept of Ebenezer is something my family and I have tried something different with. So we have had some experiences over the last few years to do some traveling. We like to be outdoors, and on our hikes, we will take rocks that we find, stones or shells, and we'll stick them in our pockets. And as we're pulling stones into our pockets, we, we give ourselves a task. Let's come together at the perfect spot, and we're going to, as a family, Thank God for being faithful God. So we have our rocks, and then we end up finding a, a really pretty spot, and we'll each take turns stacking the rocks on top of each other. And we each take a turn talking about how we've seen God's faithfulness. So this summer, we had the opportunity to go out to the East Coast. And we were just doing a little tour, and it was we were in a rental car and sort of kind of had plans, but just wanted to get out and see the beauty. And we kind of turned this corner, and then all of a sudden, there was this really amazing beach right off the highway in Rhode Island. And we stopped, and we ended up spending the whole day there exploring in the tide pools. And while we're doing that, I see the kids putting stones in their pockets and, and shells, and so we find this pretty spot and we decide to spend that time together as a family and remember how God has kept us safe. So we start stacking the rocks. So we thank God for the beauty and the creation, our safe travels. We see God be faithful in our physical safety through our hikes, even through delicious food to eat, forgiveness through Jesus Christ, the gift of good relationships. We see where God has been faithful. And of course, I have to snap a picture. I have to take a picture. And they're so beautiful, so I frame them. I frame these beautiful pictures, and we have that up on our wall. And not only is it a, a memory of the places we've gone to visit, but each one tells a story about how we took the time to thank God and recognize our helplessness and God as our helper. And this is also really helpful when I pray. I share with God my gratitude for his help and ask him to give me the strength to trust him when I feel defeated. I pray and ask him to show me the areas that I have not fully surrendered and ask him to forgive me when I think I can do it by myself. So I build an Ebenezer. I know that LaGrave Church could build an amazing Ebenezer. I don't know all of you, but I do know some of you. And when I see you, I see stories of heartbreak, but I also see stories of victory, of faithfulness, that recentering of where God is. What an Ebenezer we as a church could build. Not just the miraculous healings and the new employment and restored relationships, 
but also how we as a community and as a church have supported each other, had cared for each other, and loved each other. That Ebenezer reminds us of God's goodness and spurs us on to keep praying, especially in times of despair and hopelessness. What would be featured in your Ebenezer? How would you retell the story of God the Helper? Where have you seen God's goodness and victory? How have you seen the Ebenezer, even in the loss and defeat? We are helpless, but God is our helper. Amen. Father God, we come before you with hands that are open and hearts that are ready. We confess to you when we have been arrogant, when we have created idols that we have depended on instead of you. You are a faithful God who has helped us. And Father God, I pray that each one of us can see your faithfulness and see how you have been our helper, even in the heartbreak. Help us speak to others of our faith and our trust in you. Thank you for being our helper, God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.